Hi everybody, welcome to CM Memes. At present, I have a free Monday, it's morning, and outside there is rain and thunder. So, ideal conditions for a little podcast recording. To be honest, I didn't plan to record over this long weekend, but my Twitter friend Ian in Australia has reminded me that I didn't post anything for a while, and he's right. The reason is that I became a little bit more relaxed recently. Before, I always had the strange idea that my time in this particular reincarnation is rather limited, and so I should make good use of every minute. So, when I had a free time, like on weekends, and when I did not do anything substantial yeah, for a few minutes, like reading or meditating or hiking or playing the piano, then I had immediately some bad conscience. Huh? Uh, I felt kind of time pressure, huh? like, oh my god, I have already wasted more than one hour of my precious weekend without doing anything worthwhile. Huh? This kind of thinking. But I realized that this is not a healthy attitude. One should be able to, to waste time without any regret. And recently I succeeded in changing my attitude and I became more easygoing. I lowered my standards of what constitutes a time well spent. And as a result, I didn't record a new podcast episode for a few weeks. Sorry for that. Okay, I don't have a plan for this episode, but the first thing which comes to mind is a kind of lingering frustration. I'm frustrated how difficult it is to talk about idealism with people who are still firmly in the materialist or physicalist mindset. Of course, the most wise strategy may be to simply avoid the topic of idealism in a conversation with materialists. Give them their own time to reach at the conclusion that physicalism is simply a belief system, yeah, similar to a religion, and one with severe philosophical problems. But it does not work in practice. Yeah? Some of my materialist friends and colleagues, they know about my podcast and my Twitter feed, and so they start to touch the topic of idealism from their side. So I should respond right. Now, what I'm finding again and again is that the materialist does not even understand what the problem is. And I mean the problem of how consciousness and the material world are related to each other. Most physicalists do not see the problem because they usually cannot clearly separate between physical reality and consciousness. They mix it together all the time. And so they look around and they see their apartment with all the furniture and with their pets and the family members. And through the window they see cars and trees and the sky. And they think, this is the beautiful physical reality. This is given as a fact. And this is all I really need. I don't know what these idealists and 
consciousness guys are talking about. Yeah? They must talk about something on top of this beautiful physical world. Yeah? Maybe they mean the thoughts that we have about the physical world or emotions or some other wishy-washy second-order phenomenon. Yeah? Is this not all an abstract philosophical hair-splitting? No, I don't need that far-fetched nonsense. Yeah? I'm happy to be a physical object within this beautiful, stable world of other physical objects. I really believe that many materialists think like that. They think that the green tree which they see through the window is actually the physical tree that is standing out there. Yeah? They think that the visual appearance of the tree, yeah, its shape and outline, its colors, the sound it makes when, when the wind is rushing through the leaves, and also the solidness that one feels when one touches the trunk of the tree. They think that all these properties belong to the physical reality of the tree. But if they would just be, you know, a little bit less lazy in their thinking and a little more honest, then they would have to admit that visual appearance, bright and dark areas, yeah, colors, sounds, smells, hardness, all these are qualia, are subjective experiences, and therefore, by definition, not part of the physical world. I mean, look at the Maxwell equations, yeah? those four classical equations of electrodynamics, which describe the relation between the electric field, the magnetic field, the charge density and the current density. These four equations describe, among other things, everything about the physical reality of what we call light. But do they say anything about bright and dark? Or about colors? No, of course not. They just describe how the values of the electric and magnetic fields in any point of space change over time when a certain distribution and, and movement of charges is given. Yeah? The Maxwell equations describe arrays of abstract numbers attached to each point in three-dimensional space and how these numbers change. Concepts like brightness and color are not contained in the Maxwell equations. Now, the standard materialist will say, well, it is simply a fact that light appears to us the brighter, the higher the intensity. And the intensity can be computed as the squared magnitude of the electric field vector. Yeah? And if the electric and magnetic fields are oscillating as a wave with a frequency of 400 to 480 terahertz, then this light looks red. Yes, sure, but this relation between subjective experience and the numerical values of the physical fields, this is something purely empirical and it has been investigated long ago in a discipline called psychophysics. Yeah, psychophysics is not part of physics. Psychophysics is an empirical discipline that tries to set up a precise translation table between the number world of physical reality 
and the world of subjective experiences. And because there is this fundamentally unbridgeable gap between the purely abstract and objective numbers of physical reality and the concrete subjective experiences of consciousness, yeah, because of this hard problem of consciousness, the discipline of psychophysics does not even try to explain anything, which is very wise in this context. It simply is setting up a translation table between physical quantities and psychic qualities. Well, of course, in the, in the school or in the university, physics teachers almost never point out the separation between physics and experience. In the contrary, they hide it because most students are not interested in a physics which only consists of mathematical relations between abstract numbers. Students, like ordinary people, enjoy the color of a rainbow or the tingling of two battery poles on the tongue, the muscle feeling of lifting a heavy stone for the loud sound of an explosion in a chemistry experiment. But <laughs> I'm sorry to say, all these experiences that make this universe nice to live in, they all are explicitly not part of physical reality. Yeah? If a physicist is, for example, enjoying the glowing of a cathode ray beam on a screen, yeah? he is not enjoying the physics of electrons but the wonderful rendering which our mind produces from the numbers that characterize the electron beam and the rest of the experimental setup. Yeah. If materialists would know what materialism really means, if they would be honest, they would have to admit that we are living purely in an experiential world. We never have direct contact with the physical reality of numbers. Even if we look at the display of a digital voltmeter yeah, and we read 5.1 volts, even then we don't have a direct contact with the physical number world. Yeah? It's an indirect contact because the display is an experience in consciousness. The colors and the brightness and even the shape of the digits 5.1 volts. Those do not belong to the world of physics. Shapes are concepts of the mind. So, if materialists would make that distinction, they would find idealism much more attractive and important. Because all we care about in our life are experiences. And even our most abstract thoughts are experiences in the mind. We are living within an ocean of mind.
Now, I'm sorry for all the listeners who are already completely aware that what we experience as physical reality is actually not physicality itself, but a subjective rendering of physicality. And the first part of this podcast episode must have been terribly boring for someone who has realized this distinction long ago. But I think it is necessary to repeat this basic point from time to time. Yeah? For the folks who may be listening and who may still be confused about consciousness. And there is a lot of confusion, believe me. The confusion becomes apparent, for example, when people in the media relate consciousness to things like information processing. Yeah? They seriously think that a bunch of neurons in a petri dish, which have learned to play the Pong video game, that they have sentience or consciousness, yeah? just because they have learned to receive and send electrical signals in a goal-directed way. But, you know, you could replace the neurons by any lousy microprocessor. Yeah? And there is not the slightest problem to let it then self-optimize to achieve a higher and higher score in playing Pong. Now, these are just algorithms of optimization. Trivial information processing. You could also replace the digital computer by a mechanical one, yeah? made of cogwheels and metal beams. Yeah? A Pong-playing computer can be any machine that changes its states according to certain programmable rules. And such kind of machines, no matter what they are made of, can be called computers. Yeah? as long as we can program their state-changing rules. And in the end, they are all equivalent to a Turing machine. And so they can do all types of information processing without problem. But consciousness is something fundamentally different from information processing. Theoretically, one could be conscious of an unchanging color for hours without doing any information processing. Yeah? An object of conscious experience must not have a complex structure and it must not change over time. The object of conscious experience, for example, could be just silence and stillness and peace. Okay, but let me change topic now a bit. I recently had a phone conversation with a friend of mine who is also an idealist. Actually, he was already an idealist long before my own flip. And so it is very nice talking with him because we don't need to re-establish the basics anymore. Yeah? We both share the worldview that physicality is just a specific state of consciousness. And the material world is a particularly sticky state. Yeah, so if you allow me the analogy, consciousness can be in different phases, yeah, similar to water, yeah, which can be a solid, a liquid, or a gas, yeah, depending on temperature and pressure. So the solid state of water, ice, has a highly regular inner structure, 
yeah, where the molecules are arranged in a periodic lattice. And so the water molecules follow a strict rule in a way. Yeah? And this gives ice a certain stability. If you form a shape out of ice, it endures for a long time, yeah? as long as the temperature is kept low enough. But if you warm the ice up, it melts to liquid water. And then the molecules can violate the periodic rule, yeah? and they can move around each other. Yeah? Of course, they still are not completely free. And for example, they cannot jump to a faraway place or something. But if you arrange a group of water molecules in the liquid state in a certain way, then this arrangement will be unstable and it will degrade rather quickly. Now, in this simple analogy, I would like to compare our waking consciousness to the solid state of water. In this state, we experience a physical world which follows strict microscopic rules, like the molecules in the periodic lattice of ice. But for the very reason, for the very same reason, the waking state is very reliable and understandable. By contrast, the liquid state of water is more like our dream states. So even in a dream, Each momentary situation merges gradually into the next. There are usually no jumps. But on the long run, dream sequences seem not to be bound by the rules of microphysics, at least. So, for example, in a dream, you may walk through a room and you may look out of a window. And then later, when you turn around and return, the room may have changed completely. But you won't even notice this change because the new room is just suited perfectly for your next experience in the dream. Maybe successive dream states are not connected by physical micro-rules, but by experiential macro-rules. Something like loose associations. Okay, anyway... My idealist friend believes that there are many such phases of consciousness, many different rule systems, and that we can go through phase transitions between some of them, as we do when we change between the waking and dreaming state. But he was asking himself why the physical rule-bound state, the solid state, so to say, why it has evolved at all in consciousness. Does it maybe serve some purpose in the grand scheme of things? Now, to understand his line of thought, it's important to know that when he was a child, he often had rather fearful dreams, in which first something vaguely frightening appeared, which then triggered fear in him, but then this fear kind of materialized in the dream. It materialized into a concrete form of some demon or monster or something. So there was a catastrophic feedback loop which ended in a truly terrifying state of mind. And for him, the only escape from such a nightmare 
was to make a transition to the waking state, yeah? where the objects around us do not directly respond to our fears, yeah? but they must be physically interacted with in order to change. So for him, and he supposes for almost all human beings, who are not yet enlightened and free of fear, physicality is a great phase of consciousness to live in and to learn in, precisely because it is so rule-based and so non-responsive to our inner psychic states. Yeah. I found this a great idea, and it immediately reminded me of the free energy principle of Carl Friston. You know, the basic idea here is that all life and all cognition can be seen as an attempt of surprise minimization. A living being is a part of the universe with a quite well-defined boundary which tries to fight entropic decay. Yeah. So, for example, biological beings have all these homeostatic feedback loops which try to keep certain critical body parameters constant or within a narrow range. You know, things like body temperature, blood sugar level and so on. And when these values are at their standard range, the surprise is minimized. But it is highly surprising and also very unpleasant if these values get out of range. Yeah. And the same happens in cognition. Organisms adapt their models of the universe until each new sensory input can be predicted without much surprise. And if they fail consistently to find such a model, yeah, a model that explains all that happens in their environment, then the organism has another possibility of actively moving to another environment, which is maybe more easily predictable. Either way, surprise and anxiety are minimized. I have now realized that I have done exactly that in my life. I have minimized surprise and anxiety. Yeah. By becoming a physicist, I could live in the anxiety-minimizing illusion that I understood the universe quite well. Yeah. And all the parts of the universe which could not be explained, you know, the paranormal things, they were ridiculed and simply ignored. And a similar thing I did in my private life. You know, I have avoided everything which might bring unpredictability into my daily existence, like having a family or, or frequent traveling even. Yeah. Instead, I developed an an enormous spider web of rituals over the years, uh, which carry me safely through the day without any surprise. And that worked amazingly well over decades. Uh, the only two remarkable exceptions were my two long stays abroad, you know, first in Japan and then in the US. But immediately after returning to my hometown, I fell back into these surprise-minimizing rituals, until I really started to hate it. You may remember former episodes 
in which I complained about the boringness of mainstream science and the even greater boringness of my private life. This was the natural consequence of too much surprise minimization. And so I flipped from physicalism to idealism. And I stopped believing in mainstream science, like in a religion. I became extremely skeptical of everything. And at the same time, open to new things at the fringe of science or, or even beyond. And although I'm still living during my waking hours in this rule-based physical world, my flip to idealism really feels like a little phase transition of consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> 